Welcome to Stories from an Island. I'm Mark Borbus. In this fiction podcast, I read stories I've written in my ongoing attempt to make sense of the world around me. These are all works of fiction, so any resemblance to people alive or dead is purely coincidental. Thanks for taking the time to listen. This episode contains mature content. So if you're one of my kids, one of their friends, or easily offended, you should skip this one. Today's episode is the second chapter in a story series entitled A Fairy Tale. Let's start off with a quick recap of chapter one. Our protagonist, Barbara, returns home from a predictably boring shift on the ferry, only to be awoken by news that her mother is in hospital. Within an hour, Barbara finds herself in charge of her mother's bed and breakfast, and responsible for a set of millennial guests named Keith and Miranda. We pick up the story after Barbara has settled the guests in slammed back a flower vase full of Riesling, and fallen asleep on the front deck. (laughs) Barbara opened one eye slowly. Hasselblad and unicorn turds were pointing their phones at her and laughing. Hashtag drunken innkeeper, whispered Miranda. Portrait mode with the natural light setting makes the drool really pop, said Keith. He was wearing work boots skinny cuffed jeans, and a Care Bears t-shirt. Miranda wore one of the crumpled dresses that Barbara had spotted in her suitcase, a paisley number that was a little too tight in the chest and a little too short. Hi, guys, said Barbara. Both phones were quickly holstered. Hey, they said in unison. There was a long pause. Where should we eat tonight? asked Miranda. She continued without pause. We want something local and organic. Keith is vegan, and I totally react to gluten. Well, let's see, said Barbara. She hadn't eaten anywhere but the bakery, the grocery deli counter, and the ferry cafeteria for three years. There's a diner that's pretty local. It's been here forever. What's it called? said Keith, grabbing at his pocket for his phone. He drew it out a fraction of a second faster than Miranda. He had a strange way of asking questions where his voice just didn't rise at the end. It's called Dagwoods, volunteered Barbara. Keith's fingers flew across the phone's surface. Looks divey and awesome, he said, with no hint of excitement, irony, or any other human emotion. I'll change into my 50s house dress, said Miranda, as she scampered off to the bedroom. Would you like directions? Nah, got him here. Keith held up his phone. Of course, muttered Barbara. The pair left for town and Barbara stayed on the deck looking out at the view. She went back into the fridge to refill her wine and noticed a piece of paper on the door titled Guest Tuck-In List. It was 25 items long. Like she did with the bathroom cleaning checklist on the ferry, she quickly edited this one down to the three most visible tasks. One, confirm breakfast time. Two, turn down bed. Three, chocolates on pillow. With her glass of wine in hand, she walked down the hallway, grabbing a post-it note and pen from the desk in the office. She walked into the room. The comforter was slumped half on the bed, half on the floor. Pillows were in all the wrong places, and a fresh stain stared at her from the middle of the bed. There was a smattering of short, curly, brown hairs around it. What the fuck? she yelled. She took a swig of her wine to shove the bile back down her throat. She backed out of the room and returned to the kitchen. Rummaging under the sink, she found yellow rubber gloves. She grabbed a pair of tongs from the bucket by the stove. 
Over the next 15 minutes, she painstakingly made the bed. It took a few tries with the tongs to get the hang of it, but she was eventually able to pull the top sheet back into place, covering the offending stain, without touching anything. She threw up into her mouth several times, washing it down with wine each time. Picking up the pillows took two hands and a lot of concentration. She dropped each of them several times and finally abandoned the tongs, using her gloved hands to throw them back into place. By this time, the stain had soaked through the top sheet. She spotted Keith's neatly folded t-shirt on the dresser. A crooked smile crossed her face. She gently placed it over the stain, smoothing it with the tongs. Then she folded the comforter across the foot of the bed like her mother always did during the summer months. Returning to the kitchen one last time, she searched for chocolates. Eventually, she found a bag of chocolate-covered peanuts in the pantry. She ate a handful as she walked back to the room. She entered the room again, moved to the head of the bed, and deposited five chocolate-covered peanuts in a tight cluster on each pillow. They looked like deer shit. And this made her laugh. Stepping back into the doorway, she surveyed the room one last time. She could hear her mother's voice in her head. Creases belong on hockey rinks, not on well-made beds. Fuck it. She scribbled breakfast, 845, on a sticky note and slammed it on the door with the palm of her hand. Her stomach grumbled as she walked back down the hallway to the kitchen. She rummaged through the kitchen again. What the hell was going on? Her mother's kitchen was pretty much empty. It's like she hadn't gone to the store since last Thursday. Hadn't her mother said something about grocery delivery? She concentrated to recall the conversation. Bakery on Monday and Wednesday. Grocery store on Tuesday and Thursday. Orders in by 2 p.m. She looked at her watch. Monday, 7 p.m. Fuck. She stood in the kitchen for a good two minutes. Her stomach grumbled again. Nothing came to mind. Maybe there was a leftover granola bar in the car. She walked out the front door and began rummaging in the trunk. Sifting through dirty clothes, empty soda cans, and chip bags, her hand settled on a heavy box. She unearthed it and held it to the light, examining it with the same delight an archaeologist would a priceless artifact. The box read pancake mix. Slamming the trunk lid, she bustled inside, reading the box as she went. One egg, one cup of milk. Couldn't be easier. She tripped on the door sill, and the box flew out of her hands, opening as it hit the ground and scattering the contents all over the foyer. Fuck, 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 she cried. She picked up the nearly empty box and stared at the carpet of pancake mix on the floor. Maybe she could salvage it. She just needed a clean dustpan. Leaving as few footprints as possible, she took long steps to maneuver to the closet and open the door. Bucket. Mop. Dustbuster. She grabbed the dustbuster and began sucking up the spilled pancake mix. Five minutes later, she had most of it tidied. She walked to the kitchen and opened the door under the sink to empty the dustbuster. Then she paused. She closed the door, disengaged the bowl from the stand mixer on the counter, and opened the dustbuster. It looked pretty clean in there. So she emptied it into the mixing bowl. Walking back to the hallway, she retrieved the box and reread the instructions. One egg, one cup of milk. She picked a few bits of dust out of the mix. There were probably three cups of mix in the bowl. So she added the eggs and the milk and mixed it all up. 25 minutes later, she ate a huge stack of pancakes chased by the last of the white wine. 
Eating her fill straight off the plate, she then wrapped the rest and tucked them in the fridge. She felt a little drunk from the wine, and a whole lot better with the pancakes on board. Ambling down the other hallway off the kitchen, she opened the first door on the left. Inside was a beautifully appointed queen bed, lounge chair, desk, suitcase rack, and what looked to be a full ensuite bathroom with a soaker tub. She tumbled into bed, which felt wonderful. She slid aside the Welcome to Falcon Nest Bed and Breakfast sign on the bedside table to put down her wine glass. And then she fell instantly asleep. The sweet sounds of chirping birds slowly penetrated her ears. Her eyes felt a little crusty and her head throbbed dully. Not a bad hangover. Definitely survivable. She got out of bed, noting that she was still fully dressed. Smoothing out the wrinkles on her clothes, she padded out the door and into the kitchen. She silently thanked her mum for the single-cup coffee machine, remembering her grousing about replacing the perfectly good 16-cup percolator from the 70s, the one she added seven-eighths of a scoop of Maxwell House coffee for each cup and a measure of sea salt to make it brighter. Thank God for the one brave dissenting voice on TripAdvisor who dared to give a four-and-a-half-star rating with the comment, Perfect but the coffee was a bit weak. She grabbed the steaming cup of coffee and walked out onto the deck. Gazing out across the view, she heard a quiet grunt, followed by a rustle. Her nose wrinkled as a fart reached it. Well, aren't you a fine full-grown lass now, said a voice from the outdoor couch. Jesus Christ! No, guess again. She located a bundle of blankets on the outdoor couch, with a pair of bare feet sticking out. A grizzled face surrounded by wild gray hair emerged from the blankets. Jock? Right out. What are you doing here? I still look after the place for your mum. I know that. I mean, what are you doing out here? No room at the inn. Although, I wouldn't have minded slipping in beside that young filly. Little bit of extra cushion, but not so much it affects your gas mileage, if you know what I mean. There was a slight gleam in his eye and a small bit of spittle appeared at the corner of his mouth. The young buck beside her probably doesn't know how good he's got it. It looks like he prefers a penetration-free tantric session with one of those yogis down at the center. Vegan diet steals all their curves. He broke off as Keith shambled onto the deck, clad in ironic t-shirt number two, shorts, and the work boots. Morning. Where do we find breakfast? Another question, non-question. Why are you wearing my boots? I thought they came with the room. They're rad. They come with a lifetime supply of gold bond powder and a recurring case of foot fungus. How rad is that? For the first time, an expression other than hipster ennui unfurled across Keith's face. He looked like he might cry or barf. What came out, though, was a strangled scream as he ripped the boots off, pulled off his socks, and started massaging hand sanitizer from his back pocket in between his toes. Jock threw off the blanket. He was wearing only boxers, a grey Stanfield Henley, and grey wool socks with a red stripe at the top. He padded over towards Keith, stepped into the boots, and walked past him into the house. Thanks, lad. Barbara followed Jock into the house while Keith sat down to inspect his feet. What the fuck am I going to do for breakfast, she mumbled as she opened the fridge. Besides condiments, all that remained in the fridge was the uncovered plate of pancakes from last night, apple juice, and a half bottle of wine. She grabbed the plate, the syrup, and butter and transferred them to the kitchen island. 
She pulled plates and utensils from the cupboard and piled them beside the pancakes. She spun around toward the coffee machine and started a cup brewing. As she waited for the machine to finish, she spotted two placemats. She looked back at the island, sighed, and walked back over with the placemats. She laid them out in front of the stools, set a fork on one side, a knife on the other, and a plate in the middle of each. She arranged the plate of pancakes in front of the midpoint between the plates. She placed the butter in front of one place setting and the syrup in front of the other. You're a regular Martha fucking Stewart, said Jock as he loped into the kitchen. He grabbed a pancake from the top of the stack and the fresh cup of coffee from the machine. Thanks for this. He nodded in salute and walked out the front door. See, it's really homey, said a sing-song voice. Totally, like beachfront bargain hunt material, but in a forest, said another sing-song voice. This one was a bit more robotic. Two seconds later, Miranda walked into the kitchen, dressed in yoga pant capris and a bulky knit sweater. She was holding her phone in front of her face. Okay, gotta go, time for brekkie, she said into the phone. Hope you guys enjoy the signature mimosa, said the phone. Good morning, chimed Miranda, plopping herself on a stool and scanning the spread in front of her. Awesome, I love pancakes. How did you know? These look whole grain, too. Miranda grabbed her fork, reached for a pancake, and then stopped halfway. Actually, can I start with a signature mimosa, she said, in a low voice with a slightly embarrassed grin. Barbara bought herself some time. Feeling a little naughty, she said. Just a bit. Keith never drinks because he doesn't like to be out of control. He doesn't like it when I drink either. He says I'm impulsive and loud. As Miranda confided in her, Barbara covered up her panic with a slow amble to the fridge, nodding her head in her best impression of a sympathetic gesture. A mimosa was champagne and orange juice, right? She opened the fridge and saw the sea of condiments again, some eggs, apple juice, and leftover wine. Grabbing the apple juice and wine, she walked to the counter opposite the island, trying to keep her body between Miranda and the ingredients. Of course, there was that one time where I had a little bit too much to drink, and... Barbara poured a champagne flute, half full of wine, and then topped it off with apple juice. Oh, Keith got so mad. Oh my god. Barbara spun around and placed the glass on the top right corner of Miranda's placemat. But, I mean, really, was it that bad? She continued. Miranda paused, her monologue, to take a sip of the drink. Barbara turned back to the coffee machine and began noisily brewing herself a cup of coffee. She waited until the last drop fell into the cup before turning around, cup in hand. Miranda was staring at the glass with a look of disgust on her face. She looked at Barbara, took a short, sharp breath, and opened her mouth to speak. Miranda, said Keith. He had crept in the front door and was trembling like a greyhound. Miranda shoved the glass away from her to in front of Barbara and turned around in her chair. Morning, babe, she said with false cheerfulness. There's pancakes. Keith closed his eyes, took a deep breath, opened them, and started walking towards the kitchen island. As he spotted the champagne glass, his nostrils flared. A subtle smirk crossed his face, and the trembling subsided. Bit early for a drink, isn't it? he said to Barbara. He grabbed the fresh cup of coffee from in front of her and sniffed it. Is this fair trade? Of course, lied Barbara. He looked behind her at the coffee machine on the counter. Those machines are super wasteful. You should get a pour-over rig. Your guests would love it. I'm going to send you a link to the one I have. He pulled out his phone and started tapping. 
As the two continued to tap away on their phones, they absentmindedly loaded their plates with pancakes. Barbara turned to brew herself a cup of coffee. These are cold, said Miranda. Oh, sorry, I got up early to make them. Give me your plates. She popped both plates into the microwave and turned it on. Why don't you just keep them in the oven on low heat, suggested Keith, without looking up from his phone. Great idea, said Barbara. After years working on the ferry, she'd mastered the art of sounding like she was listening while completely ignoring the feedback. She returned the plates to her guests. Both were engrossed in their phones and ate without looking at their plates or even appearing to taste the food. Barbara tidied the kitchen quietly and then placed her cup under the coffee machine. Keith scowled as she tossed the old coffee pot into the garbage and put in a new one. I'm going to take a shower, he said, rising to his feet and pushing his plate toward the sink. Want me to join you? Miranda asked without lifting her head from her phone. Whatever, replied Keith as he left the kitchen. A door closed down the hall and the shower started. Miranda raised her head from the phone. Can I have that coffee? She whispered. Barbara lowered the coffee cup that was halfway to her lips and slid it across the counter to Miranda. Miranda grabbed the cup, took a sip, and went back to her phone. Are you done with your plate? There was no response. All done with the pancakes? Uh-huh. Barbara tidied the plates. Miranda padded out of the kitchen, still engrossed in her phone. Barbara popped a coffee pot into the machine, brewed a cup, and took a sip. Halfway through the cup, her phone buzzed. It was a message from Keith. Here is a link to my favorite pour-over rig. It was $325 on sale right now on Amazon, and it looked like a chemistry set. She went back to her coffee. It tasted just fine to her, far better than the commercial-grade swill she usually drank on the ferries. Cream curdled when you poured it in that stuff, and it took four sugar packets to make it even approachable. Keith reappeared in ironic t-shirt number one. Miranda was still in her sweater and yoga pants, but had pinned her hair up into one of those messy buns that were showing up everywhere. Can we get a ride to town? asked Keith. Sure, said Barbara, grabbing her keys from the kitchen counter. As she followed them out, she noticed both their bags were sitting by the front door. This time, they grabbed them as they walked towards the car. Keith loaded the bags into the back seat, and Miranda crawled in. He turned to Barbara. Can I please have the keys? You've been drinking. Sure, knock yourself out, she said, leaving them in the ignition and getting out of the car. She walked around to the passenger side. Keith settled in and turned the key. The car started and Barbara looked over in surprise. Contact points are worn in the lock cylinder. Common problem with this year and model. You should replace the lock cylinder. I'll send you a YouTube video that shows you how. As they rolled down the driveway, Jock waved them down. Stop, please, said Barbara, as she rolled down the window. Jock sidled over to the car and crouched down to look in the window. Thanks for warming my boots, lad, he said to the side of Keith's head. Keith stared straight ahead and his lip quivered. Jock looked at Miranda in the back seat. Don't lose a pound, lassie, no matter what Ichabod Crane here says. Then he turned his gaze to Barbara and leaned in close to her ear. Your pancakes are shite, he whispered but your tits look great in that top. He stood up and plodded back towards the hedge he was trimming. Keith revved the little car's engine loudly and popped the clutch a little quicker than necessary. They careened down the driveway and onto the main road. Everyone was silent for the ride. Keith drove expertly and grimaced every time he shifted gears. Barbara looked out the window. Miranda tapped on her phone. 
Ten minutes later, they pulled up in front of the bakery. Keith handed the keys to Barbara and got out of the car. He stretched lightly and pulled out his phone. How do I flip the seat forward? asked Miranda from the back seat. There's a lever near where the back and the bottom meet, said Keith. Miranda fumbled. There's no lever. Other side. Miranda fumbled again. There isn't one here either. Lower down. Barbara reached across, contorting herself to grab the lever and wrench the seat forward. I knew you'd find it, said Keith, without looking up from his phone. Miranda tumbled out of the back seat, dragging her bag behind her. Keith reached in with his free hand and pulled his bag out. See you later, he said. Barbara watched as they ambled down the sidewalk with their noses in their phones and other walkers dodging around them. Her phone vibrated. The message was from Keith. Not coming back tonight. Going to try somewhere else. Barbara sighed and slumped back in the passenger seat. The thought of a night off after those two was pretty appealing. Then her phone rang. Hello? Hello, is this Miss Watson? Yes. I'm calling from the hospital in Victoria. Your mother's first round of tests are complete. That's great. She'd very much like for you to stop in. Our visiting hours are from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day of the week. If there's any way you could come today, it would really boost her spirits. Barbara scoffed quietly. Her mother's request had nothing to do with her spirits and everything to do with keeping track of the bed and breakfast. She looked at her watch. It read 11.10. She could make the 11.50 ferry and get to the hospital by 1.30. <sighs> Tell her I'll be there between 1.30 and 2 today, she said. Very well, I'll pass the message along. Good day. Bye. She got out of the car and trudged into the bakery. There were two Copenhagens on the day old rack. The cinnamon bun-shaped pastries were made of croissant dough and had a layer of vanilla custard sandwiched between layers of flaky crust on the bottom. They were her favorite. Checking to see if anyone was watching from the bakery counter, she quickly swapped the green twist tie for a red twist tie from a bag of tea biscuits on the two-day-old rack. Then she walked to the front and deposited them on the bakery counter. Wow, nice find, said the sweet teenager behind the counter. Those always get snapped up from the day-old rack. Barbara put down $3.25, 50% of the regular retail price. I must be lucky today, she said, and walked to the door. Bye, said the teenager as she left. See ya. Her phone buzzed as she got to the car. She lowered herself in, tossed the phone on the passenger seat, and opened the Copenhagen bag. Pulling the first sticky bun out, she began eating as she turned the key. The car didn't start. She tried wiggling it gently as she turned it. Still nothing. She wiggled harder. The car refused to start. Fuck you, Keith, she said as she pushed in the clutch and started rolling down the light grade of the bakery parking lot. The car started just in time for her to throw it back in first and take a hard right up the hill to the ferry terminal. She grabbed for a second, leaving a dollop of custard on the shifter. Her phone buzzed again on the passenger seat. By the time she got to the curves through the valley, she was licking the last bits of Copenhagen from her fingers. She downshifted into third as the corners got tighter. The custard transferred back from the shifter to her finger, and she licked it off. She checked her watch. 11.25. Plenty of time to pull off her coffee at the little trailer by the community hall. It would help wash down the second Copenhagen she was saving for the ferry ride. She ordered a flat white from Derek, the long-suffering barista-slash-owner of the coffee cart. He started it at the peak of the food truck craze and had been trying to unload it ever since. Almost sold it last week, 
Derek said, unprompted. His new strategy was to create the illusion of demand to kick off a bidding war. No kidding, said Barbara, handing over her debit card. You know I don't take debit, Barbara. Shoot, I always mix you up with the bakery. I gave them the last of my change. I'll add it to your tab. She pulled a ratty card out of her wallet and handed it over. Can you stamp my coffee card? With a look of resignation, he stamped the card and handed it back to her. Catch you next time, okay? They both knew she was lying. But he was too about the rampant swarm of speculators circling the coffee cart. Neither wanted to upset the delicate dance of deception. Sure. She hopped back in the car. A stream of cars began passing her in the other direction. The ferry had arrived and was unloading. It was 11.45. She rounded the last few curbs and pulled into an empty ferry loading lot. The barricade was falling slowly, its red lights flashing. Barbara caught the eye of the ramp attendant and motioned with her arm to lift the barricade. With a look of recognition, followed by resignation, he walked over to the control booth and raised the barricade, motioning her onto the ferry. She sipped her coffee and reached for the second Copenhagen. She slowly ate it, taking bites with sips of coffee in between. When she finished, she crumpled up the bag, took the last sip of coffee, and stepped out onto the deck. It was warm and sunny with a breeze generated by the ferry's movement. Light flashed like diamonds on the water, and the sun felt it like it was warming her all the way through to her bones. It was the perfect Gulf Island summer day. She took a deep lungful of the sweet, salty air and walked to the garbage can on the corner of the deck. She separated the cup, sleeve, and lid and placed them in the appropriate bins. Her fingers felt a bit sticky, so she walked down the deck to the washroom. After washing her hands, she wet a paper towel with water and a drop of soap and took it back to the car to wipe down the wheel and the gear shift. Looking around the car, she realized the wheel and the gear shift were now the only clean surfaces in the car. Ten minutes and three damp paper towels later, she had the cockpit of the car looking much cleaner. She felt better and resolved in that moment to clean the car every two weeks. To reward herself for the ten minutes of furious activity, she grabbed her phone to play a little candy crush. Two notifications glared up from the screen. Both were from TripAdvisor. She tentatively tapped the first one. You have a new review from Keither1995. Tap to view. She tapped. Average stay. Not bad, she thought. Then there were a bunch of hashtags. Hashtag day drinker. Hashtag sad breakfast. Hashtag blood coffee. Hashtag not rad. Then came the rating. Two stars. Oh, shit, she mumbled. She tapped on the next one. You have a new review from Randy Mirandi. Tap to view. She tapped. Nice foresty spot. Small room. Barely existent service. Barbara sunk down an inch lower in her seat as she scrolled to see the rating. One star. The ferry slowed as it approached the harbor. When it was her turn, Barbara drove off the ferry and got onto the highway towards downtown. She pulled off to the side of the road and grabbed her phone. A few clicks later, she found a 1-800 number for TripAdvisor and dialed it when she pulled back onto the highway. Hello, TripAdvisor. How may I help you? Said a young female voice. Two people just left bad reviews for my mother's bed and breakfast, and I'd like to have them removed immediately. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Can you give me the property name and location, please? Falcon Nest B&B on Salt Spring Island. Hang on a second. Okay, I found it. 
I just need to know the reason for removing the reviews. They were wrong, declared Barbara. Okay, I can flag them as inaccurate, but that won't delete them from the site. Did they contain inappropriate language or sexually explicit comments? Barbara paused before answering. No, they were just mean. Could the comments be construed as hate speech? Barbara paused again. No. Okay, well I flagged them as inaccurate, which means our system will pull a random group of previous customers. If they disagree with the comments, then we'll delete them. Oh, great. How long does that take? 15 to 21 days. Okay, so they'll still be there in an hour. Yes, and your rating will fall to 3.9 stars for the time being. Barbara was silent. Are you still there, ma'am? Yes, thank you, said Barbara tonelessly. Thank you for calling TripAdvisor. Have a great day and enjoy your next day. Barbara hung up, took a deep breath, and began pounding on the steering wheel. Shit, 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 shit. The car swerved a little, and she looked at the car on her left. A five-year-old boy stared back with wide-open eyes and mouth. Barbara looked back at the road, then glanced back at the boy long enough to partially read his lips. Lady said, shit, 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 he mouthed. The mother scowled from the passenger seat, and Barbara stepped on the gas to pull away from them. Ten minutes later, she took the exit for downtown and found her way towards the hospital. The parking lot sign read, $3.25 for the first half hour and six fifty for each additional hour. Fuck that, she muttered. After 20 minutes of circling in the neighborhood adjacent to the hospital, she spotted an opening. She pulled forward into it. The two-hour parking sign with the arrow pointing forward was just behind the B-pillar of her car. She eased forward. Now it was behind the backside window. She eased forward again. There was a slight bump as she hit the massive black SUV in front of her. She drew her shoulders to her ears, inhaled, and slammed the brake pedal. The SUV chirped. Its taillights flashed once and then went dark. She exhaled. The taillights ahead began flashing quickly and the horn began sounding every second. She grabbed her purse and reached in the back for the bouquet from the abandoned welcome package. Half of the flower petals came off as she pulled it through the narrow gap between the two front seats. She got out of the car and walked quickly around to the sidewalk. She noted with satisfaction that the little car's rear end was only hanging about a foot beyond the two-hour parking sign. Close enough for government work, she said aloud. Hey! Barbara looked around, tracing the voice to a nearby porch. The man was dressed head to toe in black. He looked strong, wealthy, and angry. I hope you're not as sensitive as your car alarm, yelled Barbara as she took off a run to the corner. She slowed to a walk as soon as she was out of sight and struggled to catch her breath. The adrenaline from the brief exchange was still flowing through her, and the TripAdvisor snafu felt far less significant now. In a few days, her mom would be back in charge, and the bad reviews would be paved over by a flood of positive feedback. Plus, her mother wouldn't have a cell phone in the hospital because they weren't allowed in the ICU. There was a lightness in her step as she walked into the hospital and scanned the main sign to get her direction. She stepped out of the elevator on the fourth floor and walked down the hallway to the ICU entrance. A cheerful pink sign announced, Thanks to a generous equipment upgrade funded by Dan Burns Realty, mobile phones are now welcome. A fresh bout of nausea flooded over her. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.